Good morning to each one of you. I titled the message this morning, uh, A Father's Footprints. You know, speaking of fathers can, uh, can bring many thoughts and, and emotions to mind and memories, good and bad. Uh, for some of us, it's, it's a reminder of our own failures as, as fathers. Uh, for some of us, it's reflecting back on, on our own father and maybe his failures and hurts and pains that, uh, that come to mind from pondering the past. Um, I remember sitting in a group of, of young men at, uh, at SMBI back 30 years ago, and here was this young man uh, in his early 20s. He was married at that point and uh, just sobbing as he remembered uh, a spanking he got as a 14-year-old that he didn't feel he deserved from his dad. And it was still uh, a very painful thing for him to ponder. Um, I don't have those kind of memories of my dad, but, but I can imagine that, that those, those kind of memories can be difficult. And so as we think of fathers this morning, I'm, I'm aware that that there can be a mixture of thoughts going, going through our minds. Um, does anybody know what the last verse in the Old Testament says? The very last verse in the Old Testament. What does it say? Okay, yes. Malachi 4 6. It's a promise. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Um, God is saying that He's going to turn fathers' hearts toward their children, and children's hearts toward their fathers. Uh, what all does that mean, and what all can we gather from that? I, I, I don't know. But it's, it's certainly encouraging to me as a father that that, uh, that, that is God's desire, that's His heart, that, that our hearts would be turned to Him as our Heavenly Father, and, and the responsibility He's given to us as fathers, that our children's hearts would be turned towards us and our hearts towards them. I was also reminded again of the verse um, that... Paul, I think, says, uh, Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ the Lord. And, and when it says, uh, Other foundation can no man lay, that's talking about fathers as well. And fathers uh, can do very little good in this world unless they start building on that foundation of Jesus Christ and pointing their children towards Jesus and, and starting from that point. Because He is alone the one that is going to make the difference in their lives. We can point them in good directions, we can nurture and encourage our children, but if there's going to be a heart change, uh, Jesus is the one that is, is going to do that. One of the first memories I have of my father uh, was him carrying me upstairs to bed. 
and the memory of what I was wearing uh, kind of dates it to probably somewhere around two years of age. Um, the, the nightgown I had on, or whatever you want to call it, was one of these things with just sleeves and a zipper across the bottom, a little bag, <laughs> a bag with sleeves and a zipper. Um, so that kind of dates when it probably was. I remember uh, falling asleep at night, and my parents' bedroom was right next to ours, and uh, many a night I would fall asleep hearing my dad pray. He uh, always prayed out loud, and uh, I could, could not necessarily hear the words, but I, I could hear him pray and knew that's what was going on over there. And, uh, and then I'd wake up in the morning, and again, I couldn't hear the words, but downstairs, I could hear him reading his Bible, and he read that out loud, too. It helped him keep his mind on what he was reading, and he always read out loud uh, mornings. So I would fall asleep hearing him pray and wake up hearing him reading his Bible. Uh, good memories. A perfect man, no, he wasn't. A godly man, yes, he was. Um, there's things he did that I decided I would never do. Um, one was he was he was a very punctual man, and if you got to church later than ten minutes before starting time, you were late, seriously late, and. Um, so Sunday morning, he would go out and get in the car and get everything ready. And, and if uh, we weren't getting there, you know, the, the horn would start beeping. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I decided I'm not going to do that. If, uh, if my wife is in the house trying to do the last-minute thing of getting little ones ready, I better be in there helping, and we better walk out. So I determined I'm, every Sunday morning, I'm going to walk out to the vehicle with my wife and open the door for her. And uh, so, you know, Daddy wasn't a perfect man, but he, uh, he was a godly man. Another memory I have, and, and I think we have to remember, uh, back in the generation our parents grew up, uh, the relationship they had with their parents. You know, there wasn't the kind of communication always, I don't think, in those generations of uh, sharing each other's feelings and so forth. And so we have to remember what kind of a home our parents grew up in and give them a break at times. But my dad didn't do real well at communicating uh, with us as children and what all our thoughts and feelings were. And I remember my brother... My oldest brother, he's nine years older than me, and uh, he had a little bit of a wild streak when he was young, and he would take my dad to work, and then he worked about two miles farther away from home, and so he would drop Daddy off, go to his job, and then come back and pick Daddy up and they'd come home. Well, one, one evening, uh, he didn't show up to pick Daddy up, and... Uh, Eventually, he came walking into where Daddy worked, and what happened was 
he was on a back road and thought it would be interesting to see if the family car, which we were a one-car family, if this thing could make black marks. And he was making black marks. And it was one of these old Ford uh, fair lanes with the three feet on the column, you know, the, and the clutch and all. And somehow he messed up the gears. <laughs> and we had to tow the car home. I, I, this is the memory I have. I would have been eight or nine at the time. That evening, uh, my oldest brother was out in the yard walking and said, he was hurting. He was really hurting. And, you know, Daddy should have went out there and told him it's okay. We can fix the car. But there wasn't that kind of communication and relationship that should have been. And so he was out there walking. So, it got dark. That's the memory of my home. Later, uh, both of my older brothers, you know, had what I would describe as a little bit of a wild streak. Uh, they weren't bad, bad boys, but they did things at this point in day. And I was enough younger to see the pain and decided <clears throat> I'm not doing that. I'm going to try to honor, honor my dad. And I'm sure I didn't do it perfectly. I'm sure I disappointed daddy at times too. But I, I tried to learn from, from what they did and, and do better. You know, there's a, there's a father absence crisis in, uh, in America. According to the Census Bureau, 24 million children, that's one out of three, live without their biological father in the home. Consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all social ills facing America today. You, uh, you talk to the men in prison. You talk to... Uh, the problems at school, uh, the boys' camp where Brandon is, almost all those boys uh, do not live with their biological father. They're either adopted or from a broken home, almost invariably. And, uh, and so there's, there's consequences when fathers don't pick up their God-given responsibilities. One, you know, the, the, the one in three that don't have a biological father in the home, what would that number be if the question would not only ask, is the father present, but is he involved? I mean, yeah, he might show up every night, but is he involved in the children's lives? Does he, does he nurture them? Does he guide and direct them and, and uh, have, have a real place in their hearts? Obviously, that number would be, would be very different. We know that. For us as fathers here this morning, how would we rate in, in our involvement in, in our children's lives? How would God rate our involvement? 
in the lives of the children that he has entrusted to us. Um, it's a very serious thing to have Almighty God place the never-dying soul into our arms that will spend eternity somewhere. That is a very sobering thing. It has always been a challenge for parents throughout history, and I think there are some unique challenges in our day. Uh, parenting in uh, 2018 has had some challenges that our parents didn't have. Uh, most of us as fathers uh, leave the house before our children are awake, and they don't see us till so we come home at supper time, and hopefully we do come home at supper time. But if you think about it, you hopefully are involved in putting your children to bed at night, and then they don't see you till supper time. That's that's a big that's a big space there. You know, back a generation or so, there wasn't as much of that. There was more life on the farm and the interacting, and I'm not sure the farm is uh, quite the family-friendly thing it once was. Uh, at least some of the farms I observe are probably not like they were uh, 50, 60 years ago. But, uh, but it's a challenge. When, we're, when we don't interact all day long with our children, it's a challenge to to be the kind of father and build the kind of relationship that God intends. I would strongly encourage uh, fathers and mothers to, to make it a priority to have that supper together. You know, it's, it's uh, shocked me at times as I've done premarital counseling here in our own church and discover that families don't eat supper together. Um, I realize it's not always possible, and, and as, as your children get older and schedules uh, don't mesh well, it, it, it gets harder and harder. And uh, my wife tries really hard to hold supper an extra half hour or 45 minutes till everybody's home, and we try as much as possible to eat supper together. Uh, Sometimes it may be one of the few things that you do together that whole day. And if it doesn't happen, then you're, you're losing something. So I would really challenge you to, to make that a priority. It's, uh, it can be such a valuable time in sharing the experiences of the day. What happened uh, with the children at school? What happened at work for older children and and just, it's, a, it's an excellent time to debrief each other on what, what happened during the day and, and feel connected to one another. I asked Richard Schrock, uh, the administrator at SMBI, what is the biggest challenge facing our young people today? And this is his answer. He said they need relationships. They want relationships. He said they have 500 friends and no relationships. Um, and I, I'm sure he was referring to, to social media. You know, the, the World Wide Web 
has been a tool for some people, but it has been a real web for others and has, has uh, wrapped them up in ways that have been very, very unhealthy for, for family relationships. There's all kinds of music at our fin- fingertips, good and bad. There's pictures, good and bad. Even the good can rob us of valuable time that could be spent uh, building relationships. It's painful to sit in a restaurant and watch what's going on around you. Over here's a table that appears to be a family, and they're all sitting there with their phones. They're not talking, they're not relaxing, visiting with one another, they're all looking at their phones. Over here's a man and a lady, we can assume husband and wife, or boyfriend and girlfriend, and, and they're not talking, they're, they're each glued to their phone. Here's two men, maybe business partners, maybe co-workers or whatever, but they're, they're not talking, they're not visiting, they're not sharing their lives, they're glued to their phones. I hear that there's youth groups that go to a youth activity, sit in a circle, and all get out their phones and, and uh, look at their phones rather than relating to one another. Thankfully, that does not happen here in our youth group. Basically, uh, youth activities, we have a table back there, and, and they voluntarily throw their phones on the table and go about youth things and, uh, and don't hardly touch them until they're ready to go home. And I'm grateful for that. It's not required. It's not something we ask. It's something they just do. And, and it's a blessing to, to see that. We as fathers uh, can set the tone in our home in some of these areas. If, if we sit at the supper table and can't leave our phone alone, uh, that's not a good thing. Now, I will readily confess in our home, I touch my phone more than others. Sometimes I'm desperately trying to get supper down, to get to a meeting and and sometimes there's last-minute adjustments, whether we're having it or not, or, and uh, have to kind of keep track of what's going on elsewhere so that I get to the, to the meeting at the right time, right place. Uh, and I'm reminded of that of my children sometimes. Daddy, why are you, why are you looking at your phone? <laughs> but uh, so it's not been a problem with the children. It's been more of a problem with me. But I think we should... We should do our best to, to try to stay away from that at the table and the worship where, wherever uh, it should be a, uh, a no no phone time. We should have no phone times in our home where where we just relate to one another. Fathers, where do our footprints lead? When you think of following footprints, you know you. In the sand or wherever you can, you can you know exactly where they're going. And each of us as fathers are leaving footprints. And where, where are they leading our children? In Genesis 14, uh, Genesis 18, verse 19, God says something of Abraham that is 
um, something every father would would like God to say about them. Genesis 18, verse 19. God says this about Abraham, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. God is saying with confidence, that he has confidence in Abraham that he is going to be a godly father and he's going to leave footprints that guide his children toward the Lord. Can, can God say that about you and I as, as fathers here this morning? If we go back just a few more chapters, uh, Genesis 22, we have that very familiar story and we won't read it here this morning, but we, we know, I'll read the first three verses, we know the story well, how Abraham took Isaac, the promised child, that was going to be the, the beginning of the, the descendants, like the stars of the heaven and the sand of the sea, and God says, take him to the mountain, sacrifice him. Uh, Genesis 22, verse 1, And it came to pass, after these things, that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place in which God had told him. And we know how they traveled for a number of days, and they went up to the mountain, and, and Abraham bound his son Isaac, and it's hard to imagine Abraham's age and the age of his son, which we're not exactly sure what it was, but... Certainly, he could have outrun the old man, uh, but he uh, he stood there and let himself be bound and laid on the altar. And Isaac had watched this many times. He knew what happened when something is laid on the altar. He knew what was coming next, but he lay there. Abraham obviously had a relationship with his son. A relationship that was built on time spent together, time worshiping God together, that he knew, he knew what this was all about. And it would appear like he did not struggle, he did not resist. He trusted his Father. Just like Abraham was trusting his heavenly Father. Abraham left clear footprints for his son. What kind of footprints are, are you and I leaving for, for our children? David, um, David struggled. Some, King David struggled some as a father. 
in Second Samuel eighteen thirty-three, we have David weeping for his son Absalom. His son Absalom rebelled and got together uh, an army and was trying to take the throne from his father. And we know the story how how Abraham left Jerusalem and Absalom took over and there was there was a battle and, and Absalom was killed. Uh, David had instructed his men not to kill him, but they did not listen and they killed Absalom. And when the news came to David, he, he just wept for his son Absalom. If you study the history, you know, Absalom had some real problems in his life and, and he killed his half-brother. And David kind of shunned him for a number of years after that. And there was an effort at reconciliation, but it never, they never had each other's hearts. Um, and it wasn't all Absalom's fault, and it wasn't all David's fault. There was failure there in having the kind of relationship God wanted. And it, it's a sad end to a very sad relationship. But uh, David was not uh, the kind of father he should have been in, in a number of ways. In First Chronicles 28.9, we see uh, a better a better relationship with his son Solomon. He says this, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If ye seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. He's uh, giving some wise counsel to his son, and, and it appears like there is a much better relationship here. I think maybe he learned from his failures he, he's done better. In uh, down a number of verses, verse 20, he goes on and he says, and, and David said to Solomon his son, Be strong and of good courage, and do it. Fear not. Neither be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. He was instructing Solomon how to build uh, the temple, the house that uh, the Ark of the Covenant would be kept in and where God would dwell. And uh, he, he had... He was charging his son Solomon with this responsibility that God had chosen for him. This morning I'd like to spend just a little time talking about those present that are not fathers. There are men here that are, are not fathers. You know, God has people he wants all of us to leave footprints for and to do it well. Many of you sitting here have left footprints for me, and, and you did well. All of us here, whether we realize it or not, are leaving footprints for others, whether they're leaving good places or bad. 
we are leaving footprints. Where do our footprints lead? Apostle Paul had no biological children, uh, but he, he was a father to, to a number of men, young men. He says to Timothy, my, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Another place he says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, for though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. That wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Paul was keenly aware that there were young men looking up to him as a father, even though they were not his biological children, he was he was reaching out to them. I think it was Merle Burkholder when he was here a number of years ago said that every man should have a Paul and a Timothy in his life. There should be an older man that he is learning from and, and uh, getting advice from and, and trying to become like. And all of us should have a younger man that, that we're uh, sharing life with and trying to point them in right directions. And, and we should all have these kind of relationships in our lives. And I, and I think he's right. That is, that is God's plan. That came out in, in our Sunday school lesson. The older and the younger learning, learning from each other. I've been blessed to watch some of you sitting here uh, this morning that don't have children of your own reach out to, to younger men and, and boys and, and blessing their lives. Uh, Gary back here comes to mind. You know, I, I hear things. Uh, from some of these young boys, you know, Gary called me and told me he's going to start dating Luann. <laughs> you know, these little fellows, uh, they, that's, that's interesting stuff. And, and it it's, uh, blesses their hearts to be in on these secrets before other people know. And uh, so that's, that, that means something to, to people. I mentioned here a few weeks back at Mother's Day, Robert day, and I won't go into that again this morning, but, but again, uh, uh, a man that the difference between a total disaster of a life and a, and a life of uh, a fruitful life was people stepping in that were not biologically related to him. There's another man that I've learned to know. He's some years older than me, but he, he gave me a little window into his life and the kind of home he grew up in. Now this is this is my friend's parents. So his dad was 24 years old. He married a 17-year-old lady. So there was an age gap. 17 is tenderly young. 24-year-old man, 17-year-old lady. He was from a family of 11. She was an only child. He grew up sharing toothbrushes with the 
children. You know, there's 11 of them. And they didn't have 11 toothbrushes, so they shared toothbrushes. She grew up sharing nothing with anybody. They got married. They lived in a duplex with her parents. He was to help her dad farm with her mother looking over his shoulder. There was tension in the home. You can imagine. The 24-year-old husband had to go get another job. It wasn't working. The farm wasn't working in this condition. My friend was the firstborn son in the The tension in that home left scars on this, this young boy. It left damage. But God did a work in this young man's life. He saw, as he grew older, he saw the odds stacked against his dad. He learned to respect his dad in spite of the emotional scars. My friend grew up to be a good father himself, a godly man, a faithful pastor. Today he has an outstanding ministry in reaching out to hurting people and, and speaks many places. Uh, some of you would know him. But that's the setting he grew up in. But my challenge here this morning, if you're sitting here and, and you have scars from the kind of home you grew up in, it can be overcome. God is there to help and to heal. And many times, our parents uh, did not grow up in ideal homes either. And, and so we need to give them space and, and understand the, the setting they were in and, and try to, to learn from their mistakes and do better ourselves. And we are not providing perfect homes for our children. And we should, we should pray that they will have better homes than we do. Are we willing to, to be a channel of love and encouragement and, and not fall into to bitterness and, and pointing fingers uh, at parents that, that have failed in, in some respect or another? Are we willing to be a Paul or a Timothy? Then there are fathers that, that have done a wonderful job of parenting, but have children that choose to reject them and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I firmly believe that those fathers don't get the credit they deserve. You know, faithfulness, in spite of failure, is courageous. And we must honor fathers that faithfully serve the Lord. 
irregardless of choices their, their children make. Again, we must remember that God changes hearts. We don't change hearts. We do our part. We nurture. We guide. We encourage. We lead our children the best we can. But when that heart turns toward the Lord Jesus Christ, that's something He did. We did not do that. We can't take credit for it. And we can't take all the blame when it doesn't happen. We we obviously have to acknowledge our failures to, to our children. But they have a choice. And if children choose, uh, they will be held responsible for their choices. And when they choose to do right, we praise the Lord. We don't pat ourselves on the back. I think David recognized this. He prayed this prayer to God. And give unto Solomon my son a perfect heart to keep thy, thy commandments, thy testimony from thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build the palace for which I have made provision. David realized that if Solomon is going to be a godly man, it's going to have to happen in the heart, and it's going to have to be a work of God. And we must realize that as fathers. In closing, fathers, what footprints are we leaving for our children? Where do those footprints lead? Do they hear us praying to our Heavenly Father? Do they see us not only reading God's Word, but applying it to life, living it out in our daily walk? Do they see us investing in eternity, or will our footprints lead to work, pleasure, possessions? And if they follow our footprints, that's mainly what they're going to see. Do they see us putting Christ and His kingdom first? Let's be sure that our footprints lead not only our children, but others that are watching and following that our footprints lead, lead all people to God. Thank you.